Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. We return this week on the show to the dark period in Taiwan's history known as the White Terror Era. And once again, we're going to be looking at it through the lens of literature. Of course, last week we spoke with author Shana Young Ryan about her recent work of historical fiction, Green Island. But today, we're going to be taking a look at a novel written during the White Terror period itself. American author Vern Schneider gave a U.S. audience a rare glimpse of life in Taiwan through his 1953 novel, A Pale of Oysters. Now, what made this work stand out at the time is that unlike many other prominent U.S. writers, Schneider did not shy away from discussing some of the human rights abuses being committed by the Chiang Kai-shek regime. The book created quite a splash at the time, back in the 1950s, prompting a great deal of praise, but also stirring some controversy. It's now getting re-released by Taiwan-based English-language publisher Camphor Press, with a new foreword by Jonathan Benda of Northeastern University. I recently spoke with Benda to get his thoughts on what this work has to offer a modern audience, and also learn a bit more about the time in which it was written. Jonathan Benda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So the book uh, centers largely on a, a Taiwanese peasant uh, who finds himself uh, at odds with the governing ROC forces. Uh, and a, a lot of the book is uh, centered around uh, how that tension plays out. So it's kind of a, we learn a lot about uh, the tension between the local Taiwanese and, and the, some would describe as occupying mainlanders uh, through that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also we learn about the story uh, very much through the lens of uh, this American journalist uh, who comes uh, to learn about Taiwan and what's happening uh, during this period in Taiwan's history. Uh, and if, you know, if you squint with one eye, that American journalist almost looks like the author, Vern Schneider, um, because mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Schneider also came to Taiwan uh, in the early 1950s uh, to research this book, you know, in an effort to get to know Taiwan a little bit better so that he could write this book. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this author uh, and how he became interested in Taiwan, because he was in Asia long before uh, he became interested in Taiwan, right? So Vern Snyder served in East Asia during World War II, and in 1944, he was sent to the Navy Military Government School at Princeton to study about Taiwan and learn about Taiwan. Uh, the U.S. originally planned to invade Taiwan and occupy Taiwan um, as part of their attack on Japan. Uh, of course, that never happened, uh, but he learned a lot about Taiwan through that program. And then after he went to Okinawa and was involved in the occupation of Okinawa, he went to Korea. And actually, interestingly enough, it was in Korea that he met some people from Taiwan, from different uh, ethnic groups. There were Hakka, um, there were Taiwanese, there was uh, some Aborigine uh, people in Taiwan that he met in Korea and learned about their experiences under uh, the government of the KMT there. Mm. And uh, so then uh, eventually uh, he made his way to Taiwan, though, to uh, research this book. How how did that uh, get started? Uh, After he finished uh, uh, Tea House of the August Moon, which was a bestseller, and uh, as we know, it got turned into a play and into a movie and uh, really was a major part of his career. Um, He started working on a 
book version of what had originally been a short story, uh, Pale of Oysters. And uh, he got uh, an award for Tea House of the August Moon and used uh, some of that money uh, to go to Taiwan for three months and do research on uh, Taiwanese society and culture. And so then he's, he spent a, a whole summer uh, in Taiwan uh, trying to get the lay of the land and, and understand uh, what uh, ROC rule meant for uh, the locals in Taiwan. Yes. Yeah. He spent three months in Taiwan. He, I think he spent most of the time in Taipei, uh, but he also was able to travel in other parts of Taiwan and he was able to interview people, um, talk to people informally in markets. He knew some Japanese from his experience in Okinawa. So, and Japanese was still spoken by a lot of uh, people in Taiwan at the time. Um, and he also had an interpreter who helped him. Uh, but he had to be really careful about the kinds of things he talked about with people because he knew you know, the eyes of the secret police were on him. He wasn't, you know, he couldn't just go and say, you know, what do you think about the Taiwan government, you know, the KMT government or anything like that. He had to kind of go indirectly in talking about these things. Um, so he gathered a lot of information about the society as well because he wanted to really, you know, give a sense of what it was like to live in Taiwan at that time for, for the Taiwanese people. And that's a that's a pretty interesting subject uh, to take on uh, at the time. I mean, uh, even just Asia as a whole, I don't think was uh, a terribly common uh, subject for a, a U.S. author. And then take it even a step further, Taiwan. I mean, was anybody else at that time writing about Taiwan? Um, well, most of what was written about Taiwan at that time um, was more pro Chiang Kai Shek. Uh, some of what George Kerr wrote at the time, uh, he was later uh, the author of Formosa Betrayed, as probably a lot of listeners know. Um, what he wrote at the time after the, the what he called the March Massacres, um, the, uh, the, the February 28th uh, massacre, um, he, he was obviously very much against the government. But a lot of what was published was more pro-Jiang and anti-communist and um, Henry Luce, the um, who published Time Magazine and Life Magazine, was was a big fan of Chiang Kai Shek and and Madame Chiang Kai Shek, and uh, so he he published uh, more pro pro Chiang articles. And and um, in 1951, James Michener also wrote a book called The Voice of Asia that was really about more about the U.S.'s role in in Asia, and he has a series of chapters on uh, Taiwan. Um, there where he has interviewed uh, some actually mostly mainlanders, actually entirely mainlanders, uh, and talks about how, how eager they are to, to get into a war and uh, fight against the communists and, and go back to China. Um, so that was kind of the tenor, I think, of, of public discourse on Taiwan at the time. It was very much pro-Jiang and, and how Jiang Kai-shek had really improved things in Taiwan. And yes, there was 228, but um, that was just one person's mismanagement. And, and Jiang Kai-shek, when he came in, you know, was, was really trying to clean up all that and, and make life better for the people of Taiwan. That was, that was kind of what the, the dominant dis, you know, discourse on Taiwan was at that time. 
Right, and so uh, the, you know, all of American consciousness about Taiwan was really caught up in this Cold War mentality. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't think about Taiwan without thinking about communists versus, you know, non-communists yes. uh, versus uh, the Chiang Kai-shek and, and his regime. Um, and so when uh, Schneider wrote this book, I mean, was it almost as a corrective to that uh, kind of mentality? Was was he trying to push back against that to a certain extent? Yes, I, I think so. He was he was trying to show what the lives of people in Taiwan were really like, and uh, give people a sense of of that things were not as you know as wonderful as they were hearing. Um, to give Americans another alternative perspective on on Taiwan uh, through the experiences of these characters, Lilio, the, uh, the oyster farmer, and uh, Didi, the, the young Taiwanese uh, boy, and his sister, uh, Precious Jade. He wanted to re- really give people, from those people's personal experiences, or those characters' personal experiences, he really wanted to give a, a sense of what Taiwan was, was like um, and, and counter this dominant way of, that Taiwan was being talked about in the press um, and he thought fiction would be a really good way to do that because it was something that could really bring readers into the lives of the characters in a way that, that he felt that nonfiction couldn't really do uh, because you could, you could identify with the characters and you could feel with them. Right, and he's uh, Schneider is really trying to give uh, a pretty detailed account of uh, what life is like in Taiwan. I mean, as you mentioned there, the, the protagonist... Uh, he's half Hakka, half Aboriginal, uh, so he's really going into detail of uh, what uh, the society that makes up Taiwan uh, looks like. Now, as uh, you pointed out, and as other writers have pointed out, some of the things he gets uh, a little bit wrong uh, here and there. You know, some cities aren't exactly where they're supposed to be in his writing, uh, but he really is trying to get uh, convey a sense of the real shape of Taiwanese uh, society to uh, an American audience. Um, So when he went to Taiwan, um, as I was mentioning, he did a lot of research, interviewing people, um, observing. He said that he walked around Taipei and walked down all the different kinds of streets and uh, recorded um, the the prices of uh, food. So there's discussion of how much things cost you know um precious jade and her brother Didi, they don't have a lot of money and uh so he talks about how much um money that they're willing to spend on rent for a room and how much they can spend on food and and snyder actually did a lot of research to find out what things actually cost um at the markets and and at the the uh, noodle stands and things like that because he and how much rent was because he wanted to give an accurate picture, um, he he talked to the, the sellers and markets. He um, he took notes. He told George Kerr later on that he actually hadn't taken a lot of notes because he was afraid that the government would, you know, confiscate his notes. Um, but he he did take notes and he he didn't write anything. There's no smoking gun in the notes from what I saw, but uh, there's a lot of description of things like. Um, the naming conventions for girls. So 
you know, he did, I think he did try to really give a, an accurate impression, and I think he he does a good job. Of course, there's a few mistakes here and there. People people who have a better knowledge of say the streets in Taipei than I do would probably be able to point out mistakes on on you know, where he put things. And as I say in the introduction, he accidentally puts uh, Taichung south of Zhanghua at one point. But uh, whoopsie, you know, yeah, uh, he he was only there for three than, months. It's not bad. Yeah, other than that, he I think he did a really a really good job of of conveying the life. And and another thing about fiction too um that he could do that perhaps wouldn't happen in nonfiction is he could take these these characters from really different walks of life, you know, the the oyster fisherman Li Liu and and uh Precious Jade who's who's was sold into prostitution by her adoptive father and her brother Didi who's kind of a um also an adopted son and he's he's uh being trained to go to college you know these these were people from very different walks of life in a nonfiction work it would be hard to bring these three different kinds of characters together and especially to bring them together with the american ralph barton you, know, you wouldn't see that happening uh so he's able to do that in a work of fiction and, and there's a little bit of uh you know dramatic license to that but it's a it's a way of showing people, you know, American readers that you know there are these very different kinds of people in Taiwan, uh, and different eth- ethnicities and social class and, and gender issues. Probably a, a much more detailed look at uh, Taiwan than any of the audience in the U.S. had seen before then. Uh, but kind of getting to uh, that response from the readership. Uh, I mean, this is a book that, uh, based on the introduction that you wrote for that, uh, it, it looks like uh, many critics uh, were quite appreciative of it, but in a lot of other ways, uh, it was not exactly received well uh, by uh, a lot of readers. It was it was critically praised um, by at least you know a large group of, of critics, and it actually uh, won an award. Um, I think it was the American Library Association, an award. Um, there were also reviewers that were very critical of it and said that he painted a very uh, one-sided picture of um, Taiwan and, and a very you know it was a, a picture that was he painted a picture that was too anti Chiang Kai Shek anti KMT and 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 everything was black and white and there are no grays that was what one one critic said uh, I don't happen to agree with that but that's what this critic I think for the Christian Science Monitor wrote. But yes, the book didn't sell as well as Tea House of the August Moon. I think part of it was probably that the mood was very dark in that. It's a very somber kind of book. Um, it doesn't end very happily. I don't want to give away the ending, but um, you know, things things happen that are kind of a surprise. Um, uh, it's a some, somewhat tragic ending. So right, and and probably. Part part of the reason that he wrote it this way is because, as you said, it was to a certain extent uh, a, a corrective of the overly positive uh, narratives that were coming out uh, from a lot of writers about Taiwan at the time. Yes, and and it shows in in the way that the the, the book ends that things in Taiwan were not as as happy and as uh, good as as uh, pro KMT writers would would have people believe. I think another reason the book didn't do well is, um, according to uh, some rumors, I guess you could say, is uh, that copies of the book 
were taken from libraries in the United States, um, some pro-Jiang Kai-shek, pro-KMT people um, are said to have taken uh, the books away, basically stolen them from the libraries. Um, and uh, Vern Snyder himself was suspicious that the book was being suppressed um, by actually by the U.S. government. And he actually did a Freedom of Information Act request uh, to find out, you know, what was going on if there was a if there was any kind of U.S. government uh, interference with the publication of his book. Unfortunately, I didn't find out what his results were because uh, the archives at Monroe, um, the the Monroe Museum, didn't have anything on that. But uh, it's interesting t- to know that he actually did such a request to find out that he was that suspicious. So this is, yeah, certainly, uh, as you say, a book with uh, quite a bit of uh, interesting history to it, and now it's being re-released by Camphor Press uh, with your introduction. Uh, And uh, I guess one thing that's pretty striking to me is, I mean, this book was originally released to the American audience in the 1950s as something of a corrective for uh, American ignorance of what's going on in Taiwan. Now we're up in 2016, and oh man... <laughs> Most yeah, people in the U.S. still don't really know what's going on in Taiwan. Uh, so, I mean, do you, uh, in, in a way, I mean, isn't this book as relevant as ever? Uh, I think so. I think it it tells people first of all what, in a sense, what uh, what led Taiwan to becoming uh, being in the position that it is now. You know, kind of in the shadow of China, and I think Americans still don't have a really strong understanding of Taiwan um, and they might have heard about the recent elections and the, the, the defeat of the KMT by opposition um, parties the, the DPP and other parties um, and they might be wondering you know, why this might come about uh, why did Mind Joe become so unpopular and uh, I think the book, the book can give you some sense of the history of these relations among the, the different groups in Taiwan um, the Aborigines, the, the Taiwanese, and, and the mainlanders, and, and give you a sense of the complexity of that relationship and uh, some of the conflicts that were going on at that time. And perhaps uh, maybe the most uh, poignant reminder uh, for us as Americans, I mean, I grew up in the U.S. as well, so it's uh, good for me to get a reminder of this, is just how far back uh, American involvement goes in Taiwan and uh, you know how much of a, of a real impact U.S. policy uh, has on, on, on this country over here. I mean, this book, in a lot of ways, uh, is uh, just a reminder of, of how deep that goes. Yeah, I think one of the issues that this book really uh, points out is perhaps the unintended consequences of a lot of the U.S.'s actions in, in other parts of the world, and in this case, of course, uh, Taiwan, um, that you know, everyday Americans might not know about. Um, the, the U.S. support for uh, the government of Taiwan at the time led to a lot of, uh, you know, tragic consequences for, for people in Taiwan. Um, I think it, they're one of the interesting things, in, especially in the short story, A Pail of Oysters, is uh, that really the only presence of America in that short story version, there's no Ralph Barton in there, uh, but the presence of America is known through um, basically military material, um, trucks and, and weapons and flashlights and things like that that the U.S. has provided the uh, 
was called the Save the Country Army. Um, so I, I thought, I, yeah. So it's really powerful in that sense that you know the the image of America um, that is given to uh, the people of Taiwan in that story is is of it's how it supplies the you know the oppressors basically. Um, and in the novel, there's also you know this sense of of the U.S. supporting the oppressors um, and and what effects that has on everyday people and uh, you know people need to have a sense of how the decisions their their leaders make affect people uh, in other parts of the world. All right. Well, uh, the book is A Pale of Oysters by Vern Schneider. It is out now uh, by Camp for Press. We have been talking to Jonathan Benda. Jonathan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for talking with me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. Of course, the place to go to learn more about this work is camp4press.com. While you're there, you can find a whole lot of other interesting books also covering Taiwan and East Asia. Taiwan Talk is, of course, ICRT's weekly interview segment, bringing you news from and about Taiwan. You can find these interviews broadcast each and every Monday during the 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. news broadcast at the top of the hour. You can also find extended versions of the interviews, such as the one you just heard, on iTunes, the ICRT website, and on SoundCloud. Uh, If you do listen through iTunes or SoundCloud, please do take a second to leave a comment while you're there. Let us know what you're thinking, which is helpful, so we can bring you the stuff that you want and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Manconi. See you again next time.